0: Love,
1: talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of B radio um, I'm just going to be reading from the book tonight, Solo, uh, the person who was going to be with me, unfortunately, could not due to personal reasons. Um, give me just one quick second, and I'll be right back. All right, I apologize for that. So tonight on tonight's edition of V-Radio, we will continue to be reading the best that money can't buy, continuing on with Chapter 4. I am going to... (laughs) Sorry about that. Turn that off. There. Anyway, um, as I was saying, we're going to continue at Chapter 4. In the event that anybody has any questions, they can call in using the call-in line that is there. I believe I started the chat successfully, if anybody would like to join. Um, Anybody who is listening uh, who would like to bump this thread on the forum so that more people can hear about this, I would appreciate it. Um, In fact, I might even be able to do that myself. Um, But once again, today we're going to be talking again about um, The Best That Money Can't Buy, Jacques Fresco's book. Um, I'll be reading from Chapter 4 to start, and um, I'll be pausing in between chapters Uh, to discuss the content, essentially. And um, if any of you have uh, any questions, feel free to call in. The number should be available right there um, as a call in line. And uh, I will do my best to get to you. I will also try to monitor the chat room as I read to see if anybody has any questions. So let me see. see here in just a second. I apologize for all the delays. Things have been a little bit hectic today, as you can probably imagine. And uh, I'm going to bump this up. So, um, as far as developments in the Venus Project, uh, I've actually been kind of um, gone for a while, and I apologize for that. Um, A lot of personal things going on in my life that have made it very difficult, and you can probably bet that they... um, have a lot to do with the uh, monetary system um so basically um i should be back on more regularly now i'm going to try to do this once a week but don't quote me Um, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff going on in my life right now that has been very complicated not the least of which been that i just got over being um having a very serious cold (laughs) Um, in fact, I still sort of have it. Um, let me see here. I think I might be adding someone to the call after all. I'm just oh going to bump this other forum post real quick. <clears throat> and uh, we will be good to go. Wait just a second. All right. Getting on. Let's see. My main Skype call. Thanks again everybody for your patience. We will be getting started very shortly. I'm going to drag this down and pull on the person who just asked to be added to the call and we will go from there. It's a freaking hot here in Michigan today, if you can imagine that. Um, And uh, Got my fan running, doing everything I can to deal with the heat. All right, let's ring this up. It is now ringing. Hello. Hello. You're going to need to uh, pause the Blog Talk radio feed, or they're all going to hear it while you're hearing it. All right, how's that? That's better. How you doing?
2: I'm doing
1: all right. All right. Um, How oh, yes. Not too bad. Um, can you lower your speaker volume?
3: I can try here.
1: <laughs> Hello? You still yep. hearing echo? Yeah, I'm still... No, you're fine now. All right. I was, so, like, really low. <laughs> well, um... My uh, internet call sign is VTV. My real name is Neil Kiernan. I was the Libertarian Candidate for Congress here in the Michigan's 10th District in uh, 2008. Um, I am a recovered free market capitalist. I'm now a a supporter of the resource-based economy that is uh, brought forward by Jacques Fresco and the Venus Project. Um, Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and um, we will get started with our book reading.
3: Well, my name is Justin Hubbard, and uh, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, actually, I'm a supporter of the Venus Project and the Zeitgeist Movement as well.
1: Excellent. Um, how did you hear about the Zeitgeist Movement?
3: Well, actually, I just kind of stumbled upon it. Um, I was interested in the way the uh, the world was working and everything, uh, and all the troubles we were in, and I just, actually, I I just kind of stumbled upon it, like I said, you know, I just, I was searching through a lot of videos on, uh, I think it was, I was searching on YouTube at the time, um, and I just happened to run across Zeitgeist Movement after I had got done searching, um, uh, some conspiracies in twelve, and then Zeitgeist came up, and I just started watching it, and then it just kind of went on from there.
2: Excellent.
1: Well, um, what were your political affiliations and beliefs about things before you discovered Zeitgeist Addendum? I mean, did it change your life the way it changed mine?
3: It changed my life, actually, in the sense that um, it related to my views of the world my entire life. And I kind of always thought that I was alone in that in that respect. And, uh, and then I, I watched the Zeitgeist Movement, and then I uh, learned about Jacques Fresco, and I just suddenly felt like I wasn't alone anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Yeah,
1: I know exactly how you feel. Um, Bring on uh, Thunder here. Thunder, can you hear us?
4: I certainly can. Good afternoon.
1: Uh, Good afternoon, and thank you for calling in. Um, It looks like I have another caller. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring them on and ask them uh, if they have any questions or if they were just listening one moment. Caller from 646 area code, you're on the air. What can we do
5: for you today? Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Awesome. Hey, this is uh, this is actually Vincent Liu. I'm uh, Vindaloo on uh, Ben. I actually just uh, went off. I'm just I'm I'm in full support of this movement and the Venus Project. Um, actually just um, actually, if uh, anyone wants to hear my side of the story, I mean, I've been trying to pay attention. I've been paying attention to the economy for, I don't know, past two years. I've been trying to, sat and looking for all sorts of different things, for different problems, and I just happened to stumble across um, the Venus Project and the Zeitgeist Movement, and it just clicked with me. So that's how I I found out about it, and um, I'm generally on bent and the forums, pretty much. And yeah, that's, uh, that's my side of the story, but I'm just really here to listen.
1: Well, um, thanks a lot for tuning in. I will be like, basically, the format that I do this in is I read some of the book, um, I mute everybody, and I ask the people who I can't mute, which would be the people on Skype, um, to mute themselves, and then I read, say, a chapter or a large, because sometimes he divides his chapters into big sections. You know, I'll read maybe just a section of the book, I'll pause, and then we'll discuss the topics that were brought up in the book to try to, you know, break it up. Because otherwise, if it's just me reading the book forever, it gets a little bit uh, monotone and gets out of hand. So to try to keep the conversation alive, you know, basically give a a context for which, you know, we can bring this to is like if any of the things that we're reading about in particular have to do with the way that they've impacted your life, um, please feel free to bring them forward in this panel. Um, I usually like to have an international panel. Uh, tonight, just by happenstance, I wasn't able to get uh, the people that I usually get for that very purpose. Um, Azzy's got some personal problems going on at home. He represented Ireland. I'm not really sure what happened to our friend from the Netherlands. He was supposed to be on the night, but we are on a very different time schedule, so who knows what could have happened by now. Um, I'm sure that we'll have all that straightened out later. Um, and in the meantime, um, now that we've covered all of that, uh, we've got a gentleman here from Kentucky. Uh, Thunder, where were you from again?
4: California.
1: So we have California, and um, as to the new caller, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, where are you from?
5: Vindaloo. Uh, um, I well, actually, my my full name is Vincent Lou. That's why I decided to use that alias because it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am from New York City, actually.
1: New York City. Well, we seem to have spanned the entire United States here on this call. I guess I can settle for that. Um, All right, well, I'm going to get down to business here. Uh, Once again, um, I have activated the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, and um, I'm going to mute the other callers here. And um, if my friend here on Skype would mute himself, there's a button to do that, and um, you should still be able to hear. And uh, then we'll get started with this book reading. I'm going to start the meeting now.
3: Where is that mute button at?
1: Uh, Somewhere down in the bottom of your Skype box, if you pull up the Skype thing, you'll see an option to mute yourself. It's next to what looks like a pause button. It's like kind of got a microphone with a line through it. There you go. You found it. All right. Chapter four, from superstition to science. Once again, I apologize for the quality of my voice. I still have a very bad head cold. The challenges we face today cannot be resolved by antiquated notions and values that are no longer relevant. Unfortunately, we tend to support basic values and traditions that reflect the past without questioning their appropriateness to the present or the future. The more superficial the changes, the more things remain the same. For us to think creatively about the future and examine our traditional habits of thought, we must become better informed. We must look at alternatives objectively. And try and not try to fit fit the future into our present social mode. Mold, sorry. (laughs) Today, millions of people throughout the civilized world worship different gods and fear demons, while some try to placate their gods with incantations, sacrifices, adulation, and flattery. Others use astrological charts and pendulums for arriving at decisions. Popular newspapers. Feature columns on astrology and television and radio airwaves are filled with psychic problem solvers. A noted psychic recently said, We should be surprised on how many important decisions about running our country in the hands of soothsayers and charlatans. Until scientific inquiry came of age, human beings could not comprehend their relationship to the physical world, so they invented their own explanations. These explanations tended to be simple, and some were harmful resulting in religious rituals, superstitions, astrology, numerology, fortune-telling, etc. Millions of people still accept and follow these ancient beliefs. Scientists are not closed-minded regarding these issues, but their standards for accepting such ideas require more rigorous and sophisticated proof. The difference between a scientist and a metaphysician is that a scientist asks a question and engages in experiments that determine the nature of the physical world. This process also requires that the experiments be verified by others who must get the same results. In contrast, metaphysicians fabricate answers that are emotionally pleasing and require no verification, a process that is subjective and not in touch with the real or physical world. Considering how metaphysicians metaphysicians rely on unverifiable information for direction, it is ironic to see them surrender lofty initiative and spiritual interpretations of worldly things when it comes to their daily lives. (coughs) Sorry. When purchasing property, for example, they measure exactly how many square feet are being exchanged for a given sum of money. When purchasing a new automobile, they ask how many miles per gallon the car will deliver or the exact cost of buying it. In fact, much of our daily lives involves the application of scientific principles. As B.F. Skinner said, intuitive feelings may tickle the cockles of a poet's heart, but they do nothing to enhance our knowledge of the physical world. What makes a person feel good or appeals to one's emotions does not necessarily add to one's understanding of the world. Throughout history, life, for most, for most has been strong I'm sorry, a constant struggle against many problems, finances, health, personal safety, communal security, starvation, and much else. Finding no safe haven in a world where many are resigned to the consequences of original sin, theologians created the concept of, of a distant heaven. This is a place of eternal bliss and limitless abundance, full of warmth and love, where people are free of destitution, greed, lust and the need for money and all other afflictions that have plagued humankind for centuries. To qualify for entrance into this world of eternal bliss, however, one must first die and also demonstrate impeccable behavior while on earth. They must also in constant prayer to an intermediary for forgiveness of their transgressions. Others seek to attain this end while still on an earthly plane through meditation and or renunciation of the material world. By this means, they hope to experience nirvana. While it may be true that meditation will alter their associative memory and develop a procedure for fulfilling their hopes, dreams, and wishes, the attainment of this state takes place only in their minds. The tendency to seek wish fulfillment and unique individual fantasy states often makes it difficult for people to tell the difference between the physical world and their fantasies. People will continue to search for answers to universal and perplexing problems, but to find meaningful answers, one must first know what questions to ask. People pose complex questions without first having fundamental knowledge of what it is that they are seeking. In science, which is closer to the physical world, it is acknowledged that there are no absolutes. If science were to accept absolutes, scientific inquiry would come to an end. There are many who are in search of the truth, but this is an endless search that takes a person. If we have, if we, sorry, if we ever find out exactly who we are, it might be the end of human intellect. Whether consciously or not, most people continue to undergo changes in their values, outlook, and understanding, a process that has no finality. Human beings are constantly evolving organisms. To evolve further, the question is, how do we select from the many alternatives those which are more appropriate? A brief course in scientific principles enables a person to better understand the world and their relationship to it. We can only experience the world with our receptors and the degree of linguistic precision that our culture affords us. No one can view anything with the certainty that they perceive it as it really is. If a mouse could talk, It would describe a dog as an enormous creature, but a giraffe would say it is a tiny creature from his point of view. They are both telling the truth as they see it, but only from their own point of view. Questions like, what is the meaning of life? What is the consciousness and the mind? (coughs) Why am I here? What is my relationship to God and the universe? These questions have been asked for centuries but they are irrelevant to achieving social progress. These are unanswerable questions because they don't have reference in the real world. The posing of such ambiguous questions doesn't express concern for fellow human beings or a desire to evaluate their condition. Such musings are gibberish in terms of practicality and as impotent as wailing over an injured person instead of seeking medical attention for them. Take, for example, the question, What is life, its meaning, and our relationship to the universe? which is ultimately a hollow and meaningless question. Philosophers, poets, and metaphysicians cannot genuinely pursue the questions in terms of any actual processes. They usually understand little about the physical process of nature. Those asking such questions don't go into the laboratory in pursuit of physical processes nor do they typically understand the structure of even a single cell, let alone the universe. They are merely repeating quotations of other verbalists from the past without making any effort to verify the validity of their own assumptions. Although they feel these questions are profound, in the context of science and reality, they are actually naive. Questions about the process we call life assume that life has meaning. As difficult as it may be for some to accept, The only meaning life has is what humans give it. Real concern about such profound questions is better manifested by engaging in research into the characteristics and mechanics of living systems. The same principle applies when an increase in criminal behavior requires investigation into the factors that shape human behavior. Merely talking about things we do not understand does not add to our knowledge. For example, the word instinct does not tell us anything about the behavior of an organism. It is a word symbolizing patterns of behavior many do not understand. Instead of the word instinct, we need precise information on the actual processes by which fish migrate, birds build nests, and organisms adapt to their environments. (coughs) One may reasonably ask, why do people cling to the values and practices of the past when they so obviously no longer work? Long-standing, thought-out patterns—I'm sorry—long patterns are hard to overcome because they often appear to serve the interests of the individual. And old ways of thinking are simpler and easier to handle. In a two-way, two-valued way of thinking, as in good and bad, right and wrong, love and hate, cause and effect, very little logical analysis is involved. <coughs> also, few of us are adequately equipped for analytical thinking. Analytical thinking requires an understanding of process and a broad range of information. We are insufficiently equipped and trained to objectively evaluate alternative proposals. Science is taught as a series of discrete specialties, as if biology, chemistry, and physics were not really a single science. No school we know of presents science in a significantly holistic way. Students learn narrow principles, laws, and processes rather than the scientific way of thinking. This makes it very difficult for average people to apply scientific and analytical thinking in their everyday lives. That is the main reason for continued ignorance. People want instant answers that they can easily grasp and use immediately, even when they have no basis in fact. Science does not provide quick answers, but it does provide information about the physical world we live in. The scientific community uses a system that best explains how nature functions the way it does. The challenge for scientists in the near future is to develop methods of presenting science and technology in language easily understood by those less familiar with the scientific method. This might be accomplished through films, books, videos, and CDs, which could help bridge the difference between science and ignorance. At present, most of the difficulties are in the field of communication and education. We recommend The Demon-Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark by Carl Sagan to anyone interested in exploring this area. Scientific individuals present findings without regard to whether people like them or not, often at the risk of their social standing, careers, or even their lives. They hold fast to such concepts as Earth being neither flat nor the center of the universe. The theory of evolution and that illness is not punishment by gods or demons. This differs greatly from politicians who seek public approval by catering to the dominant values of the times. We see examples in such emotionally popular matters as family values, nationalism, and religion. Most churches make people feel guilty about natural human inclinations, making them feel dependent on the church for forgiveness. Religion focuses on unresolved human problems of insecurity, shame, fear and wish fulfillment and offers hope for a better life in the next world. Science offers people the tools of reason and knowledge to help build a self-reliance and to free people from mythology and simple wish fulfillment. Human beings have the potential to develop their own concepts and to make their own heaven or hell here on earth, but there is no way for refugees from reality to perceive the actual state of affairs without tremendous effort and inquiry in order to translate their wishes and dreams into reality. It takes honest effort to understand the nature of the world we live in. Should people turn to science for answers when most are not sophisticated enough to state problems correctly or even understand the questions? Following the path of least resistance in our thinking only holds us back from one from making more appropriate evaluations in our investigations. This makes it easier to understand how dictators like Hitler succeed in building large followings, particularly during hard times. In seeking simplified answers, people blame social problems on minorities, foreigners, karma, auras for each individual, acts of demons or gods, or the position of the planes at the time of one's birth. I'm sorry, the planets at the time of one's birth, just to name a few. Others seek levels of human consciousness and self-realization through meditation. To be uninformed, these things are easily understood because they do not demand a proof or verifiable evidence, hence the popularity of metaphysics. Some insist that we return to the simpler life of the past, the good old days. This is another myth that some people cling to, the idea that things are somehow better in times of less technological development. This is unfortunately a growing phenomenon in the scientifically illiterate world. Even some scientists are persuaded by pseudoscience. Pseudoscience, Even scientists can be victims of culture. One illustration of this is that some have used their abilities to make weapons of mass destruction with little thought about the consequences. The belief that science or religion is not compatible with totalitarianism is a myth. In recent history, in Spain, Italy, Russia, Japan, and Germany, science gave way to sadism and even practitioners of one of the most ethical professions, medicine, performed gruesome experiments on living people. Churches of nations at war blessed tanks, soldiers, and battleships, even when the combatants on both sides were members of the same denomination. There really is no such thing as a pure scientist. Since all data is filtered through our senses, Personal background and experience some are scientific in their specialized disciplines but in other areas of science they may be illiterate formulating conclusions outside of one's discipline could even be a violation of the scientific method science should not be used to conquer nature but rather should point out our independence I'm sorry interdependence and connectivity to nature and explore how to utilize our knowledge to live in accordance with the natural order of things. When we as a nation spend nearly five hundred billion dollars annually on defense and only two billion on understanding our environment, one must question whether there actually is an intelligent life on Earth. I love it when he says that. The only hope for developing a new civilization is to accept responsibility for improving our lives through knowledge, understanding and a deeper comprehension of humanity's relationship to natural processes of evolution. Our future is determined by the effort we put forth to achieve this transition. When we, outgrow assumptions what superior, I'm sorry, when we outgrow assumptions about superior and inferior races and realize the unity of humankind and its true relationship with the planet, we will achieve the full potential of science for humane development. This could serve as a unifying global force for achieving a sustainable world. But not knowing where we are, how can we possibly know where we are headed? Well, that's the end of Chapter 4. I'm going to bring on our panelists, and we're going to talk about this subject. Hello to everybody who just joined us in the chat room. Once again, if you guys have any questions, let me know. I will do my best to answer them. All right. Um... I'm going to unmute some people. Let me start with uh, you, Justin. What did you think of that chapter? Mr. Hubbard from Kentucky? (laughs) Does he have his headset on? One can hope. (laughs) Well, I hear him moving around. Apparently, he doesn't hear me. Well, I guess I'll move on to Thunder. Thunder, what did you think of that chapter?
4: Oh, man, what a mouthful. <laughs> there, I, I was trying to write down a couple of the, you know, there you covered a, quite a bit of issues there. The one that uh, you started with that stands out for me is how people um, attempt to apply um, these new ideas to current day understanding and and how that really um, gets things very confusing. And I assume the quote unquote debunkers out there, it seems to give them fodder to find fault in all this. And, And that's always been my response to them is you cannot apply current day knowledge to something like this because it just it doesn't work that way so I, I guess my question to you uh, would be you know what what is the best answer to give these people you, you have to I mean they're looking for answers but they're looking for them based on what they know today how, how do we overcome that
1: well um the first thing that I would say is um at least in my opinion generally uh, going after people's religious beliefs we've talked about this on previous shows if you just give these people like a full frontal assault that's not really in your best interest um generally the power of superstition will die on its own when exposed to science and reason that will always happen um so let me see here real quick uh, Justin Hubbard, um, refreshing shouldn't help you. You're actually on Skype with me. You should be able to just talk in your headset. I don't know if you can hear me. Um, um, you are still on the Skype call. <laughs> still on the Skype call. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, there you go, Justin.
3: Okay. Skype
1: is always screwed up for me. That's no problem. Okay. Um, well, go ahead. Have you been uh, Have you been listening to uh, this, this chapter, or did you lose it? I got bits and pieces, barely. It's basically just talking about religion and superstition. What are your feelings on that, as it applies to the, Vi- the Venus project?
3: My feelings on
1: religion. Yes, and superstition. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds to me like you still have the show playing in the background, Justin.
4: Yeah. That's gonna <laughs> mess him up because it's on a delay.
1: Yeah. I don't know why you he can't hear it. <laughs> that's okay. Hold on, sir. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I move don't... on. I can hear you.
3: Okay. Any echoes?
1: Nope, not now. So okay. hit me up on your feelings and religion and superstition as um basically as it relates to the Venus project.
3: Okay. Um Okay, anyway, um, as far as religion goes, I'm not...
2: Hello? Yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead. Okay, as
3: far as religion goes, I, I can't say that I'm a religious person. I I like uh, I'm, I like spirituality, but not religion. You know, because religion is a man-made tool. It's just something to, uh, uh, to mold people. It's just another form of molding people the way that they, you know, whatever society wants to be in control...
1: Okay, it's a completely acceptable answer. Um, It looks like we have a new caller here. Um, Caller in the 303 area code, you are on the air. What can we do for you tonight? Do you have any questions?
4: No, I just called you to listen. I'm sorry.
1: No, there's no reason to be sorry. Feel free to listen. I'm going to go ahead and mute you again, though. (laughs) So (laughs) if uh, you end up having anything you want to say, go ahead and join us in the chat room, and I'll be happy to unmute you.
0: All
3: right.
1: Thank you. All right. Okay. Well,
3: I was hearing a bunch of things.
1: I'm sorry, what was that?
3: I was hearing a whole bunch
0: of different voices. That was because I didn't have blog Talk Radio paused.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, that would basically be what it is. Um, basically, all you need to do is just listen to the Skype call. You'll be able to hear the show, and you'll be able to hear yourself. Well, yeah. maybe you'll hear us anyway. But um, And I once again apologize to the newcomer who called us like, kind of at the last minute of the 646 area code. Um, I don't remember your name, but please feel free to <laughs> comment on chapter four about religion and superstition. Oh, if you're still hi, there. yeah, it's uh,
5: Vincent again. I'm actually yep. in the Vincent, hallway, so hi. can you give me like two minutes? I'll, I'll, I'll I gotta walk outside so it doesn't go <laughs> like
1: that. Sure, I'll, no I'll problem. Hard. You just let us know. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead Come and give my, uh, my comments on this subject while I'm waiting. Okay. Um, Basically the uh oh somebody in the chat room has a question. Yes, question. Oh my goodness, my switchboard just filled up with people. Okay. Um while I'm waiting for that. Did you look over the adaptation guide criticize thread?
2: Not yet.
1: I will be happy to do that when the time comes. Um let me address these two new callers. It's like we go from nobody on the switchboard, Thunder, to suddenly there's a billion people on the switchboard. <laughs>
5: Any All right. Uh,
1: yes, I can hear you.
5: Okay. Yeah, I don't really have much to comment in regards to religion because I've never, I was not brought up uh, in in that you know realm of thinking. So, but one thing that does strike me uh, in that chapter. It was uh, his, Jacques' comment in regards to reality. I mean, in, mm-hmm. I, I believe, you know, I feel like the past has an underlying truth to it. Now, he's right in terms that there's no way humans can know what the real truth is unless they take all of the information. But I, under, I, I feel there is an underlying truth behind the past and that right. um, a lot of people just don't look at reality and question uh, what's reality and try to look for sources to back that up and they I mean I I don't even know what to say regarding that but um, but just to question things and finding out what is actually going on in the present in order to move forward into the future. I think that was very key uh, there in that statement of his.
1: Excellent. Well, um, I got good news, folks. Uh, One of my original panelists has just managed to come back. I guess real life got in his way. Um, Let me add him to the call real quick. And then I'm going to, before I let him talk, I'm going to uh, ask these other two callers uh, if they had any questions. Uh, caller in the seven one three area code. You're on the air. What can we do for you? Uh, hi. What's going on? Um, yeah, I
2: just wanted to comment on the on the whole uh, the whole religion and and, and and what it means to be in this project. You know, one thing I like about Jacques. And by the way, this is Brian Scringer. Hi. Nice to talk to you finally. Um, okay. But uh, what I what I like about uh, about Jacques is he
4: looks for ways to
2: get through to people. Okay, mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, uh, at that lecture, he was talking about the, 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 the April 16th lecture that's, that's posted up in the Zeitgeist Movement. He was talking, right. about, uh, he was talking about how he went to people that still believe that the Earth is flat. Remember? Right. And, uh, and yeah. so, in order, in order to, to, to convince them that the Earth was round, he talked to the head guy, pretended to be one of them, talked to the head guy, <laughs> And then uh, then showed him how the Earth, how gravity works, like a magnet. And he goes, "Oh, Earth is magnet." He said, "Yeah." And then he went in, and then he shared that knowledge with other people. He exposed him in a way that he could understand,
1: versus saying, "Hey, look, you idiot, you're over there worshiping (laughs) the sun." You know
0: what
1: I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. So uh, no, you know, he he actually took that approach to a lot of things. Um, I believe I told the story already. Uh, about how he kind of infiltrated a Ku Klux Klan chapter and then dismantled it from the inside by pretending to be one of them, and then through education, um, basically teaching the racists, well, this is why black people are black. This is why Asian people are, you know, have slanted eyes. This, you know, and then eventually they, the Klan chapter broke up um, because they weren't interested anymore in hating each other. So, exactly. um, because it, it, the whole fuel of it was gone at that point. So, um, I've got another caller here. I'm going to bring them up.
2: Just real, just real quick. Uh, just real quick.
1: He had Jack has
2: a has a way of understanding that the people that, that that we'll look at, most of us would look at and say, oh, you know what? I'm looking at you, and I, you know, I don't like you because you're a point of view, God, just you're stupid, like you know, talking to the KKK. God, you're a bunch of redneck, you know, uh, 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 white power, you know, Aryan nation racists. What the heck's wrong with you? He, he understands that they're they're products of their conditioning, and that's why he, he doesn't get mad at them. He understands that they are just. They're a the reflection of their environment.
1: That's very true. And if yeah. he had just gone into those Klan meetings and attacked them, nobody would have listened to him either. So um, Somebody had a comment they wanted to make, and then I got two other callers. I need yeah, to can I
0: say
3: something
5: real quick?
1: Yeah, go ahead.
3: Uh, I was listening to the, um, uh, the debate between Peter Joseph and uh, Alex Jones uh, here just recently. And, uh, yeah, we all know how much of a baby Alex Jones was in that debate. But uh, he was talking about, you know, Peter Joseph was talking about how religion kind of isn't really relevant to this, you know, to this new society. You know, people are able to believe what they want to believe, you know. So, I mean, I just, I don't really see how to the whole society in its end, how religion would really be relevant. Uh, Because if it was, then it would be like uh, just, you know, the one world, one world. Religion thing that people always come to me about when they hear about the Venus Project.
1: Well, you know, um, uh, actually, a common misconception is that um, the movement is all about being rabidly atheist, because that's that's actually not true at all. Right. Um, in fact, if you listen to some of the interviews, Mr. Fresco has asked what religion would be like in the Venus Project, and he states that all religions would have equal time. It's not that religion in and of themselves is is evil. It's the the controlling aspects of religion when they're used and abused towards the purposes of some, you know, one person or another, you know, whether it was the Shinto religion being abused to convince pilots to fly their planes into the aircraft carriers um, or, you know, the way that Islam is being abused to convince people to strap bombs to themselves, you know, and blow themselves up. That's an example of what's wrong, and you just have to be educated enough to understand the difference. Um, right. I'm going to go ahead and get I'm going to go ahead and get to another caller here. Um, I got to open a pickle jar anyway. <laughs> Caller in 727 area code You're on the air Oops, sorry about that
2: From Florida
1: I apologize, Hello? you were muted again there by accident Go ahead, I'm sorry Hello, this is Alex from Florida
2: Who is this?
1: Hello, Alex um, Well, you're talking to Neal Um. VTV, this is V Radio What can we do for you? Hi
2: Neil, I, I uh, don't have any questions on that chapter you read. I would like to make a comment. Uh, everything makes sense unless you have uh, true hardcore facts. Uh, it won't. It would be irrelevant. So uh, I can truly understand where Jacques is coming from on that point okay. of view, where you apply science and technology to every single application you do on this planet. And if you want an answer, you apply that method and search for the answer. And if we can come up with one, then it's transparent, and that information is available to everyone. So.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's actually one of the major points that's different about it is that we are trying to come up with the answers. We're not just content to allow ourselves essentially just to accept whatever you know a crazy explanation that's been given and okay. science has time and again proven to be the solution you know uh like you know like Jack was pointing out you know we used to believe that you know uh demons were responsible you know, in fact it's not even that archaic um one of my grandmothers died of cancer because she was a christian scientist and believed that if her faith was strong enough the cancer would go away um, that's an example of it just getting over the top. And I, I won't attack anybody's religion in particular, but you know, overall, I would say that that's an example of somebody's religious beliefs getting in the way of their logical ability to truly comprehend the world. Um, I'm gonna. Um, thanks again. I have another caller here. I'm gonna bring up, and um, and I will. Can I you still, can stay on if you like. It's up to you. Okay. I can still <laughs> chime in. Whenever um yeah, I'll I'll bring you up if you're I'll on here basically you. if you have any questions. Um what you can do is uh you can raise your hand just like you actually already did and um that will cause it to uh basically it'll be, it'll cause it to show up on my switchboard and I'll bring you up again. Okay. So no, you don't have to do that though, Justin, I'll get to you. All right.
2: We're gonna move on to
1: the caller in 646 area code. Um you're on the air,
5: Uh, it's Vincent again. Um, I don't know if this is uh you're referring to me again
1: <laughs> yes, I am um it looks like uh
5: you you must have been moving <laughs> around in the colors I've um noticed that um actually um I feel like the as what I've noticed uh in the zeitgeist forums is that a lot of the stuff that has been brought up, really. And a lot of the stuff has been stickied on the forums. And i it seems almost like a lot of the relevant topics are really being discussed prior. um, Is really just sort of like not even relevant on the forum as much. I mean, that's my observation, whether that's actually facts or not um i don't know but that's i mean that's i mean i think that's how it's going to go i mean as we discuss more ideas going forward a lot of the irrelevant like bullshit is just going to sort of dwindle away and you don't really necessarily
1: Give give me a favor and um keep the language clean because i have no idea who's going to be listening to this and it's listed as rated for everybody but other than that please continue
5: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, BS, bad science, right? Um, I mean, that's, there you that's, go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I really. That was just my comment there. And I okay, no problem. That's yeah.
1: All right. Um, thunder had something else to say. I'm gonna go ahead and remove that one and bring you up. All right, thunder. Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. All right, thunder. Go ahead. <laughs> that's okay. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you fine. Great.
4: Yeah, you know, I just wanted to throw this one more thing out there since you were talking about religion. And again, you know, this is not pointed at any one religion, but religion in general. And I find it ironic that when people are presented with an idea, such as the Venus Project, that is so, uh, that makes so much sense logically, that they're. So quick to poo-poo it away, but yet, uh, 85 whatever whatever the number is, 85, 90 percent of the uh, of America anyway are more willing to believe in an invisible man and a talking snake <laughs> and a man lived inside of a whale and walked on water and all these other allegorical stories. Uh, that they cling to and believe in you know for lack of a better term religiously i i just find that ironic that uh, and i i it doesn't make sense to me because i think very logically and and the venus project makes so much sense and it's right there in front of us in in a very practical sense right that you can almost reach out and touch it literally and yet People will cling to something totally out there in in La La land I just find that ironic.
1: no, you're not the only one um i've actually I've seen that myself i mean I am a religious person, but one of the things about my religion actually is that you know you don't force your beliefs on anybody else ever um and the the funny thing also, and it goes along with that, is that you know it's um you can't allow yourself to be let's say you usually see this is that there are a lot of religions that are full of these just large books of rules. Um, like for example, the Bible makes a lot more sense to me now that I've talked to a, a few Jewish people that are friends of mine. One of which is a rabbi, and he explained to me that a lot of the things that are in the Old Testament, for example, are meant to be parables to teach you like moral lessons. They're not meant to be taken as literal things that happened. Um that's one thing that many people don't know. And no I'm not Christian and no I'm not Jewish. But the point is is that the story of Jonah and the whale probably has a you know a parable benefit to it. Just like Aesop's fables. I mean, you know, obviously there was never a fox biting over grapes with a I forget it, was it a crow? <laughs> you know. That never right. took place. Right. That doesn't mean that you can't learn something from it. And um I mean honestly the, the especially when people talk about the this is when we're talking about superstitions and such um, one of the things I think that kind of went wrong in, Zeitge- in the first Zeitgeist movie is that they, they immediately attacked uh, the concept you know, that known as Jesus. If people actually lived according to Jesus' teachings, we'd be fine. He's not really the fraud. The, the fraud that you need to be concerned about is actually um, is Satan. Um, because when you, when you talk to somebody who actually can read Hebrew and can read the original text, there is no duality in the original concepts of like you know, the, the same God. There is no bad guy. Angels can't rebel against God. They're incapable of free will. They can only do what they're told. That's one of the nature, fundamental natures of the issue that most people don't understand. Um, and uh, in addition to that, the, the concept of hell is also totally distorted um, in the Christian understanding of hell. Um, it, it, it Also, hell is actually temporary. It's, it's not a permanent thing. You're, you're there, and while you're there, it's not fire and pain and demons. It's you seeing what your life could have been, if you hadn't made the mistakes that brought you to hell. Um, They also, the reason that Jews don't run around converting everybody is because they actually believe that most genuinely good people are going to heaven. You don't have to follow any special rules, go through any hoops or any of that other stuff. The the special rules are actually meant for the Israelites and nobody else. Um, And so these are just, you know, I'm not actually asking anybody to believe in any of this stuff, but when you consider the huge fraud that has been brought on people the majority of evil that has been done in the name of Christ has been done chasing this fictional character known as Lucifer. Um, and th- that's where all the badness comes from. I mean, telling people, treat others as you would like to be treated, turn the other cheek, that sort of stuff, you know, that's not negative. You know, And if you look at it just from that perspective, and if more Christians did, you know, then we'd be fine. Where the problems arise is when people seem to take it upon themselves to think that they can be the arbiter of God's vengeance on the earth. That's how you run into these morons who do things like protest military funerals, claiming that all of the deaths in Iraq are because of our tolerance for homosexuals in the United States. Now, let me get my hand on one of those people. Yeah, it's true. Um, There's actually a biker gang whose entire purpose is to find these people and to run their motorcycles really loud during the protests so that nobody can hear them. Um, But, yeah, they're basically an example of the extreme Christian right And they believe that um, that, uh, the United States' tolerance of homosexuals is the reason that anybody dies in Iraq. And if we just got rid of all the gay people, then nobody would die in Iraq anymore. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. These people show up at the funerals of you know, like, and they will spit on people, they will scream at people, they will yell at people, people. This all the while, while mothers, children, wives are grieving for their you know, for their fallen loved ones who died in battle. I mean, it's. I'm not generally a violent person, but I, I got to tell you, I, I got to respect these bikers and their ability to control themselves because all they do is go up there and rev their engines so nobody can hear them. Um, I would be really, uh, I'd really be resisting the urge to punch somebody out for doing that to some poor lady, you know, who just lost her son or, you know, her husband, you know, but anyway, you know, the, the biggest point about what's wrong with religion, it, it, you know, and in, in superstition is when it overrides, your sensibilities to the point that it does bad things you know like you know when people you know there's actually that, that part in one of the uh interviews from the living on purpose show that dave that uh jock fresco was on that i highly recommend if you can still find it. it used to be on the venus project website um but there was a part of it where he says you were probably raised in a world where you believe you have a right to your own opinion he said that's very dangerous and the reason i'm focusing on this is my libertarian friends panic anytime i bring this up but he, he later explains it, and what he says is, don't have an opinion. Don't just have an egotistical thing that is more important to you than logic. Study the situation, Find, you know, get real findings, you know, do experiments, and then arrive at a conclusion. Okay? Opinions are basically just you know, imperfect conclusions. They're something you essentially made up with what little haphazard information you got your hands on and nothing else. And the same thing is basically true with religion and how it affects things. People had an opinion that the Earth was flat. When a scientist proved that it was wrong, they executed him. Okay, you want to talk about the power of opinion? Okay, <laughs> they were so concerned that other people might know that their opinion was wrong. They sh- you know, they burned this guy if I remember right. Um, they locked another one up, the one who proved that uh the sun was you know revolved around you know didn't you know the sun didn't revolve around the Earth, that the Earth revolved around the sun. They locked him up and wouldn't let him out, um, I guess, for the rest of his life after he proved that. And that's an example Amazing. of the power of, you know, just religious, you know, religion taken too far. The funny thing is, is the majority of the evils that come out of religion are not even in the religion. You think Jesus would ever say you need to lock somebody in a tower because he proved that the earth was not the center of the universe? You know, that's ridiculous. Of course he'd never say that. You know, Buddha, you think Buddha would go along with that? Absolutely not. You know anybody who really understands these religions at their very core generally you're going to find that you know that's usually just a philosophy of peace is at the core of most of them, you know and that's uh, that's the distinction that a lot of people are missing people it's It's too easy to unify people behind hate. Hitler knew this very well, and that's why that the Nazi movement you know you want to get people together to, to achieve something like what they did. you get people angry at something, you don't get people loving each other because that's not going to make anybody want to do your bidding that's going to make people want to do the right thing. So, right. um, but anyway, um, I'm going to go back to muting everybody and we're going to continue reading. Um, once again, thank you all for tuning in. This is V radio. We are reading from the book, the best that money can't buy beyond politics, poverty, and war. Um, if for those of you who are listening, you can join our chat room. That'll be attached directly when you follow that link. And, um, I'm gonna take a sip of my water here after I mute everybody. Um, Can I ask you a quick question? Sure, go ahead.
3: Because you're you're uh, you're in Congress or politician and all that, uh, if we want to vote for a bill, because I've been trying to look for my local representative's number, how do we how do we find that? You know, because I'm trying to uh, get him to, I guess,
1: vote for a bill. You want to get a hold of your congressman? Yeah. Okay, um, well, basically what you need to do, almost all of these people always have their own website, okay, and um, you need to, if you, go, if you go to the website, search your district, if you search for your district, your congressional district, you basically, you'll be able to, um, you'll get a listing, it'll give you the person's name, then that'll probably direct you to a website, you'll be able to call the person, And if nothing else, if you're willing to, you can just go visit them at their office. You may have to make an appointment. But that's probably a lot more effective than you calling or faxing your congressman anyway.
0: Okay. Um, Okay. H.R.
1: 1207. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Actually, I forgot that we did manage to add our panelists from the Netherlands. Um, Dark Dancer had a comment about religion. Please, you have the floor.
6: All right, thank you, Neil, if you can hear me because we haven't been able to test before. You sound great. All right, yeah, well, uh, when taking the whole religious debate into consideration, I had just one one, uh, worrying thought because uh, some religions, and I'm not going to point fingers, have a very aggressive uh, recruitment method and think that basically everyone who doesn't believe is bad. We we all know that in a world where the Venus Project would be uh, utilized, Uh, for everyday life, that people would have a lot of free time to spend, um, if not other things to do. Um, My personal worry would be that that this could lead to um, a very large uh, religious war, since uh, some of these religions go as far as um, claiming that everyone who doesn't believe is uh, a sinner and... Uh, should be killed, by example. How how would we deal with this? Like we are dealing with it nowadays as well, but since people would have extended time to use, and uh, well, basically there would be no governments to control them, no police force. Wouldn't this become very complicated?
1: um well you know that's also part of the transition by the time we've gotten to the point that there are no governments or police force i mean that's way 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 up there okay and that won't be happening until we finally address the problems the root causes of these problems honestly i think anybody who kills anybody because they think some book said so um those people need to be treated like mental patients and that's exactly where i think they'd end up in a venus project society you know, ended up being treated for their mental problems. Because, you know, aside from the fact that, as we have already said, in most cases, these people are probably taking something out of context from their own religion. Um, Generally, what's going to come about from that is that you're going to talk to this person, they're going to be educated, and they're going to change their ways. It's not just true. It's not just about religion either. I mean, like I have a friend of mine who used to be um, a total skinhead, a total white supremacist. And um, he was re-educated. He read a book that um, a lady had written about, you know, various racist groups, and he changed his mind. Um, You know, it can be done. And honestly, you know, it generally happens after, you know, you've put somebody in a better situation. Um, Eventually, they will come to that conclusion on their own. Um, They will will make the right decision. But the scenario that you're talking about, you have to remember once again, and I know a lot of people panic about this, okay, is... um, that we're not going to just shut off all of our means to enforce the you know the peace overnight that those things will go away when they're no longer needed and they will no longer need it be needed when the root causes of violence and crime are gone this is a very common misconception and it's very important for people to understand because it's, you know it would, it would be insane to just take all the police away in the way that the world is right now. There will be a time period of adjustment that will have to take place before we can ever expect that. But I've got to tell you, having lived in bad neighborhoods and in good neighborhoods and seeing how quickly people's behavior change when they're not stressed out, um, I have to tell you, I honestly think that the transition won't take that long when there's nothing for people to fight over. There may still be religious conflicts. But I think that once again, those situations don't need to be special crimes. They need to be treated like just, like just normal crimes. Um, if you've, if you've committed, basically, if you've um, committed some kind of violent crime against somebody, then you're treated that way, regardless of what your motive is. And they will look into that motive, mind you. Of course, that's the way we do things differently. Um, is that in our in our society, the equivalent of prisons looks into this behavior that, you know, that caused the crime in the first place and seeks, seeks to cure it not just to incarcerate you so you can't hurt anybody else but to try to prevent you from doing it ever again and more importantly to prevent other people from doing it again one of the things that jock fresco talked about during our lecture here in michigan was he was talking about various serial killers and one of the ones he was talking about um i forget the gentleman's name i'm going to call him a gentleman loosely but basically he was a killer um, he basically would mutilate the genitalia of children. And, of course, everybody wanted to kill him, and I totally understand why, but a psychiatrist stepped forward and said, please don't kill him. I want to study this man so that we, don't, you know, so that we know what created him, so that we don't have any more like him. Um, upon study, obviously, they went ahead and fried the guy, but upon study, they found out that the reason that he was committing the crimes that he was committing um, was because of the fact that his mother was highly religious, caught him masturbating, and basically convinced him that he was going to burn in hell for doing that, you know, basically terrified him, okay? And so he actually mutilated his own genitalia, okay? He shoved pins through it because he was so scared that he was going to be tempted to touch himself again and then end up in, you know, and end up in hell. I know that this story sounds kind of funny at first, but you really got to think about how terrifying that would be. You know, we're inclined to make fun of it, but... The fact is, is that you would not want that to happen to you. You would not want that to happen to your children. And because that happened to him, he then in turn went out, killed children by mutilating their genitalia because he, in his own twisted mind, thought he was saving them. Okay? This is an example of where this, these bad behaviors come from. How do you cure this problem? Well, obviously you educate people to know that no, you're not going to burn an eternal hell if you happen to masturbate. You know, there are so many things that people have screwed themselves up with, and those are the examples of bad religion and BS, bad science. So um, remember that when you're dealing with aberrant behavior, is that <coughs> our solution is to find a solution, not just to hold off a problem. You know, putting a, putting a criminal in prison is just like taking an aspirin for a brain tumor. You're still going to die. Okay, you've got to do something about the tumor, and that's how you handle crime in the Venus project. Does that answer your question, Dark Dancer? Yes,
6: that was fine. Thank you very much for your answer.
1: No problem. All right. I'm going to ask the people on Skype to mute themselves again, and I'm going to finish reading further into the next chapter. <coughs> I apologize for the coughing. I still have a cold. <sighs> chapter 5, New Frontiers of Social Change. In our dynamic universe, all things change from the farthest reaches of outer space to the movement of confidence. Change occurs in both living and non-living systems. The history of civilization is the story of change from simple to more complex. Human ingenuity and invention are examples of this fact. No system can remain static for long. Unfortunately, changes are not always for the those in charge, whether religious, military, social, capitalist, communist, or tribal attempt to hold back change because it threatens their control even those oppressed may support a system and the status quo because it is familiar and known no matter how oppressive one's surroundings there is comfort in the familiar human civilization is no exception to this process of change change occurs in all social systems and it is the only constant the history of humankind is one of change which is either brought about by natural circumstances or by human intervention. And no, we're not talking about Obama's change you can believe in. Sorry, I just had to add that. (laughs) Anyway, technology influences the most remote regions of the world almost as fast as it develops. In 1993, Malaysia had interests in banking, construction, credit cards, fast food outlets, medical supplies, and information technologies the former country of rubber plantations became a high-tech hub. Untouched isolated cultures are fast becoming the stuff of history. Although many native people still wear ancestral dress, they also carry video cameras and other state-of-the-art electronic devices. These newer technologies are present from Papua New Guinea to Vietnam to China. In Thailand we find Siam Cement, one of the largest cement companies in the world. Some of the most successful cement companies in the world can also be found in in Colombia and Peru. In our own country, Disney information has replaced U.S. steel with digitally transmitted information. Yet, at every turn, vested interests oppose technological change. Earlier this century, defenders of horse-mounted cavalry delayed the development of the tanks. So entrenched was this... Hold on a second. Sounds like a call dropped. Make sure I'm still connected. Yep, still connected. Sorry about that. So entrenched was this tradition, this is in reference to cavalry over tanks, that when Germany invaded Poland in 1939, their panzers faced Polish Polish soldiers still on horseback. It was immediately and fatally obvious that the tank had rendered horse soldiers obsolete. Later, aircraft development threatened tank divisions. Pilots and aircraft designers fought the development of guided missiles. The missile men fought the development of laser weapons. Similarly, the established social order seeks to perpetuate itself. Those in positions of power are able and highly motivated to delay developments that would advance society as a whole. From the introduction of agriculture some tenth ago until recently, Specifically, until the advent of the machine age in the late 17th and and early 18th centuries, the rate of change was slow. Social change crept along, accompanied by a great deal of suffering during transitions from one phase of civilization to another. Since the Industrial Revolution, change has accelerated at a fantastic rate. In technologically advanced cultures, change occurs rapidly, often too rapidly for the average person to comprehend or adjust to. Even when individuals adjust institutions such as government, education, medicine, and industry, I'm sorry, medicine and industry cannot, their size, their infrastructure, their processes, and their missions resist and oppose rapid change. In just a few decades, the transfer of information moved from telegraph to radio to television to wireless transmission computers to satellites and store trillions of bits of data and submit it to any part of the globe instantly. We forget that less than 40 years ago, a pair of wires could carry a dozen conversations. 20 years later, one cable carried 30,000 conversations simultaneously. Today, a single laser beam carries more than a million. This explosion of technology can no longer be stopped. Whether the citizens of the world are capable of grasping the significance of such change is irrelevant. What is required and of great significance is that a sufficient number of world leaders be able to comprehend developments of this magnitude. The degree to which we comp- comprehend such developments will determine our chances of survival.
0: <coughs>
1: Technological change occurs less rapidly in lesser developed countries. Systems and methodologies of such nations have been around for hundreds or even thousands of years. Small groups of people such as the headhunters of the Amazon live in places where their social and physical environment remains relatively static. They still make the same rafts and other tools using the same techniques as their ancestors did a thousand years ago. Stagnation is not confined to underdeveloped countries. In developed countries, there are large groups who cling tenaciously to the past while the benefits of civilization pass them by. But the future is no respecter of the values of today. Generations to come will evolve a set of values unique to their phase of civilization. While behavior patterns may remain unchanged for thousands of years in low-technology societies, that people are carbon copies of their predecessors doesn't happen in today's technological world. New generations in different environments require different solutions. With the advent of the World Wide Web, cybernation, and artificial intelligence, the rate of change is greatly accelerated. Possibly in the next 10 years, we will see more change than in all of recorded history. If we as a nation fail to adapt to these chances, changes, others will pass us by. The future belongs to those who meet these challenges. To be sure, technology evolves at its own rate. One thing triggers another, leading to wider applications. Future technologies will evolve at their own pace, which will be determined by many interrelated factors. If we attempt to alter our social evolution faster than society can adapt to change, there will be severe consequences. Rapid change without proper preparation generates severe problems. Social systems that are unresponsive to people and their environment only increase internal strife. Common crises create common bonds. While people seek individual advantage during good times, shared suffering draws people together. We see this repeated time and time again throughout the centuries during floods, famines, fires, or natural disasters. When the threat passes, people return to seeking advantage over others. Motion pictures like Independence Day depict a world united to repel an invasion by superior hostile alien culture. Indeed, it seems the only force that would unify the world is one that poses a common threat, such as a huge meteor or some other major catastrophe. In such an event, border disputes would cease and become irrelevant to the impending disaster. While many might call upon their deities to intervene, most nations would unite and use science and technology to solve a common threat. Bankers, lawyers, businessmen, and politicians would be bypassed. Resources for total mobilization would be harnessed without concern for monetary cost or profit. In a threatening situation, most would understand what could, be be- could best aid their survival. We currently face many common threats that transcend national boundaries, overpopulation, energy shortages, environmental pollution, water scarcity, economic catastrophe, the spread of uncontrollable diseases, and the technological displacement of people by machines, to name only a few. While many are dedicated to alleviating these problems, they will remain insurmountable as long as a few powerful nations and financial interests control and consume most of the world's resources. Although publications and multimedia paint spectacular pictures of developments to come in areas like de- <clears throat> developments to come, in areas like transportation, housing and medicine, they ignore that in a money-based economy the benefits go to a relative few. What is not shown is how technologies of the future could be in- of the future can be used to organize societies and economies efficiently and equitably, so that all may benefit. Currently. No think tanks are conducting brainstorming sessions on how to align social organization with advancements in technology. No government or industrial group plans for the replacement of people by machines. Many people believe that in the event of a social breakdown, the government will ensure their survival. This is highly improbable. In the event of a breakdown, the government would likely declare a state of emergency in an attempt to prevent total chaos. A review of actions taken by governments facing social collapse over the last few decades shows that their primary concern is preserving existing institutions and power structures.
0: <coughs>
1: Sorry. Even, when these, are chief contribut- even they- when these are a chief contributing factor to the problem, many people throughout history have wondered why politicians don't act on people's behalf. The reason is clear when one understands that even in a modern democracies, leaders are not elected to improve the lives of average people but to maintain the preferential positions of those in the established order. There are growing indications of awareness on the part of people in various areas of the world that events have gone beyond the control of political leaders. Everywhere we see political figures and parties come and go, and political strategies adopt and then discarded for their inability to satisfy the demands of one faction or another. There is nothing to be gained from writing your congressman or any number of governmental agencies because they lack the necessary knowledge to deal with society's problems. Their focus is on preserving existing systems, not in changing them. There may be a few in today's societies who want to phase themselves out, but in modern industrial societies, the cause of inaction is the cumbersome political process itself. An anachronism when decisions can be made on an issue in any split second by the objective entry of data into computers. Real social change occurs when conditions deteriorate to the extent that governments, politicians, and social institutions no longer have the support and confidence of the people. What once worked is acknowledged as no longer relevant or acceptable. Only when the public is better informed or in sufficient in sufficient pain is it possible to introduce a new social arrangement. Unfortunately, a majority of people today relate to simplistic answers, which causes the cycle of events to repeat. When faced with intolerable social conditions, many of the older patterns emerge again as people attempt to find someone or something to blame for their conditions blacks, Jews, or homosexuals for instance, or they seek refuge in religion or supernatural forces. Significant social changes are not brought about by men and women of reason and goodwill on a personal level. The notion that one can sit and talk to individuals and alter their values is highly unrealistic. If the person addressed that address does not have fundamental knowledge of scientific principles and natural laws, it is difficult for them to understand how things fit together on a holistic level. The solutions to our problems will not come about through the application of reason or logic. We do not live in a reasonable or logical world. There is no historical record of any society that deliberately and consciously modified their culture to fit changing times. The real factors responsible for social change come from biosocial pressures inherent in all social systems. It is brought about by natural or economic occurrences which immediately threaten large numbers of people. Some of the conditions responsible for social change are limited resources, war, overpopulation, epidemics, natural disasters, economic recession, downsizing on a mass scale, technological displacement of people by machines, and the failure of their leaders to overcome these problems. Change can come from disasters or from major technological advances. The introduction of agriculture brought a significant change in a society, as did the Industrial Revolution and the introduction of money to the exchange process. From a historical perspective, all of these appear positive. At the time of their inception, however, people lost jobs, new skills were required, and in entire ways of life disappeared. The direction direction change takes it not always for the better and doesn't always improve the human condition. Change is risky. Deprivation or scarcity that is artificial or real drives the economy. Power-seeking leaders command weapons powerful enough to annihilate entire populations and render our planet uninhabitable. Humankind's potential for creativity and innovation far exceeds its inclination to destroy. But every time we exercise destructive power, we take a thousand steps backward for every few forward. History shows that not all change has been beneficial to humanity or in the integrity of the planet's life support systems. For this reason, many desire return to earlier and simpler simpler times. But it has been demonstrated that any effective large-scale and permanent social transformation cannot be achieved through small, cooperative, and hand-tooled economies. Cooperative ventures have been tried throughout history by both religious and secular interests. Most failed to achieve or sustain their goals. The reason for the failure was not human nature or greed. The primary cause was that most participants, although sincere, had little information about the factors responsible for human behavior. Although individuals throughout history have proposed many ideal social arrangements, From Plato's Republic to modern utopians, no industrial nation has ever adopted an arrangement that improves the lives of the people and built a truly civilized nation. This is not difficult to understand when one considers the principles governing most social systems. Government's principles are based on ownership and the accumulation of wealth, power, and property. Visionaries with sincere intent write and speak eloquently about the world moving forward in a unity and brotherhood. Many expect a worldwide epiphany or transformational event. Others expect reason to prevail. Only a very few propose plans to achieve unity, some of which appear incomplete and pose a threat to existing institutions and to national self-interest. The architects of such plans are often classified as agitators, impractical utopians, and disruptors. The few bold attempts to achieve world unification fail because movement leaders and the had no real understanding of the forces shaping social evolution. Significantly, they sought solutions within the framework of the monetary system, I'm sorry, they sought solutions within the framework of the monetary system, never realizing that physical resources, not money, are what matter in the ability of a social system to sustain its people. Although money helped to eliminate old, cumbersome methods of exchange in a barter system, it is not the final answer. History shows continuing evolution and adaption. No single answer works for all time, all peoples, and all problems. Our social, political, and international order is outmoded today. Outworn social institutions cannot adapt innovative technology to achieve good, nor can they overcome the inequities forced upon so many. Competition and scarcity instill an atmosphere of jealousy and mistrust among people and nations. Concepts of property rights... I'm sorry, prepare, proprietary rights manifested in the corporate entity and, and in the sovereignty of nations inhibit the free exchange of information necessary to meet global challenges. Many people fear change and yearn to return to a simpler time of traditional values. This vision is, Their vision is faulty. Those times were not, in fact, so good. In the first 50 years of that simpler time, we waged two world wars. In the intervening years, a major agricultural and economic disaster sent millions to suited kitchens and bread lines. If they are honest, it is not the fantasy of the good old days that they wish to see realized, but more simplicity. Our problems today are enormous and global in their scope and impact. They cannot be solved by any one nation. The concept of common good is global in nature, but local in implementation. We cannot hope to backtrack to traditional values which no longer apply. Any retreat into the past would condemn millions to a life of misery, toil, and suffering. I'm not advocating that these older institutions should be overthrown. It is just that they are becoming unworkable. Unfortunately, it will probably take a social and economic breakdown to bring about the demise of the old system and its institutions. At this point, significant social change will probably only occur... When a sufficient number of people, through economic failure, lose confidence in their elected officials, the public will then demand other alternatives. While we would like to think that this could usher in a bright new chapter in the human drama, it is far more likely that the most probable course will be a form of a dictatorship, perhaps even an American brand of fascism presented to the people as a way of protecting them from the products of their own inadequate culture. However... It is not enough to point out the limiting factors the limiting factors that may threaten the survivability of all nations. The challenge all cultures now face in this technological age, some more than others, is to provide a smooth transition towards a new way of thinking about ourselves, the environment, and the management of human affairs. It is now mandatory that all nations engage in joint venture of planning on a global scale for new alternatives with emphasis on the nature of our social arrangements, this is our only option if we are to avoid a decline in the civilized world. If humankind is to experience mutual prosperity, universal access to resources is essential. Along with the new orientation towards human and environmental concerns, there must be a methodology for making this a reality. If these ends are to be achieved, the monetary system must evolve into a world resource-based economy. To effectively and economically utilize resources, cybernated and computerized technology must be applied in order to ensure a higher standard of living for everyone. With intelligent and humane applications of science and technology, we will be able to guide and shape our future of the environment and ourselves for generations to come. It is not enough to advocate the cooperation of all nations. We need a global society based on a practical blueprint acceptable to all. We also need an international planning council capable of articulating the blueprint and the advantages of the world of, that would result from world unification. The design must be based upon the carrying capacity of the planet, its resources, and the needs of its inhabitants. To sustain our civilization, we must coordinate advanced technology and available resources with a humane systems approach. Many permission professions familiar to us today will eventually be phased out. With the rate of change now taking place, a vast array of occupations will become obsolete and disappear. In a society that applies the systems approach, these professions will be replaced by interdisciplinary teams, systems analysts, computer programmers, operation researchers, and those who link the world together in vast communications networks. We have the skills and knowledge to apply interdisciplinary teams to problems. But only in times of war or national emergency do we assemble interdisciplinary teams to find workable solutions to social problems. If we mobilize the same resources for social problems as we do during a war, beneficial effects on a large scale can be achieved in a relatively short time. This could easily be accomplished by utilizing universities' training facilities, and staffs to best determine different methods to solve problems. This would be an important initial phase to define the parameters of the future of civilization. The process of social change must allow for changing conditions to continuously update the design parameters and for the infusion of new technologies into evolving cultures. Design teams, usually socially integrated computers, I'm sorry, using socially integrated computers, can automatically be informed of any changes in conditions. In this world of constant change, it is not a question of whether we can choose to make the necessary changes. Our survival demands that we act on this challenge and accept these new requirements. All right, that's the conclusion of chapter five. I'm gonna once again bring our panelists on. Um, I think we lost Justin. Um, I'm actually gonna go ahead and start with you, Dark Dancer. Do you have any comments about this?
6: Uh, actually, I have a question uh in the last part of the chapter um by the way, the chapter was very interesting and um, deeply touching uh There was a mention of a planning council uh What was that about?
1: um A planning council I believe is kind of the um the predecessor to what will eventually become the the world computer the computer that essentially you know looks over how we you know are doing things and where to spend the resources. The planning council will be essentially a group of people, you know, just like the interdisciplinary teams that are described in the uh, orientation. Um, basically, just a group of people to help get together and, you know, plan out how we're going to create the resource-based economy on the, on the, you know, in the world.
6: All right, but wouldn't that be um, vulnerable to corruption as well?
1: Um, you know, in theory, um, yes, that that could be vulnerable to corruption. It largely depends on the mentality of the people in question. Um, if your goal is to bring about prosperity for everybody and you're not doing that, uh, it's going to be pretty evident um, what your motivations are at that point. Um, that's one of the reasons why the Venus Project um, issue is a bit easier to... You know, actually I actually would say it's a bit more difficult to corrupt because when somebody isn't in, you know, out for the best interests of the planet at large, it's usually pretty evident. When you're in a capitalist society... Um, people are kind of encouraged to care about other people, but they're also kind of not. Um, <laughs> when you're in a communist society, you know, people lose, can, they generally lose sight of what they're doing. They're, you know, they lose sight of what their goals are. They become frustrated because they don't address scarcity, so therefore their, their system isn't working. So they make sure that Kim Jong-il and his inner circle are fed, but everybody else in North Korea better, you know, fend for themselves. You know, no matter what, nothing is going to be perfect. But essentially what those teams would be is they would be teams of scientists and, you know, rational thinking people who are interested in trying to find solutions to make it so that the whole world can be taken care of um, rather than what you're accustomed to when you you deal with this. That's another thing you have to remember when it talks about corruption. Getting rid of money um, and changing the way that people feel about how they trade resources with one another will solve most corruption problems in of themselves because there won't be any benefit to being corrupt in the first place. What are they going to be corrupt for? Are they gonna embezzle some money from the resource based economy? They can't there isn't any. Uh, do you follow me? Yes, I definitely
6: do. I definitely do
1: okay um, all right, I'm gonna bring up Thunder. hey, Hello. Thunder, did you have any comments?
4: Yeah, you know I just just a quick one it, it, it's just again, all this stuff is so ironic, uh, but what I guess I don't understand. Again, when people are presented with an idea, such as the Venus Project, that makes so much sense, and, again, it's important to realize it's not perfect. We're not offering the perfect solution. But when we're offering something that is so much better, makes so much more sense than what we're doing now, what is the problem? Why are people – I mean, I guess it's based in fear, uh, the fear of change, but, again, you, you pointed it out that change is inevitable, and um, those of us who have been on this planet for 30, 40, 50 years have seen some major changes in society, in technology, in, in all these things. I love the way you uh, um, talked about the, uh, the communication system from a 12-wire system to a cable uh, and, and on down the line. Uh, those changes were inevitable and so when we're proposing the changes that we are, what's what are people really afraid of? I, I guess I just don't understand because again, I'm a logical thinker. Uh, you know we've got this wonderful wonderful society that we're proposing that would, basically lift everybody up to a level of uh, a, a standard of living that is so wonderful, what are they afraid of?
1: Well, um, uh, if, I, if I might answer you, um, yeah. are you finished? Okay, yeah, that, sure that's all, all I wanted to say. Um, well, basically <clears> when you talk about fear of change, and that's actually what this chapter is mostly about, um, was that very issue, the resistance is to change. Okay, it depends on who you're asking. Um, the blue-collar worker is afraid of the change in the form of the robot automating his job uh, because then he doesn't have one. Okay, those people are scared. They have a reason to be. Even Jacques Fresco says that in addendum. He's like, you know, you have a reason to fear machines because we live in this stupid society where, you know, your resources are determined by the roulette wheel of you managing to find yourself lucky enough to be useful to the system enough to make money. Okay, those people. Now, uh, the people at the top, well, they fear change because they like being at the top. Um, You know they like their yachts and their mansions and you know they don't want to see any significant changes to the system because they like where they're at. In many cases it's not even just that you know like for example remember we were talking about like the the nature of greed. What is the point of greed greed is an instinctive reaction to scarcity and you you, it's just like the squirrel who gathers far more nuts than they're ever going to need in the tree before winter you know Um, because they, they basically are planning for scarcity. You know, because it may happen. You know, what happens? What if some of these nuts go bad? What if, you know, like another animal gets into my den? You know, any number of things that are going on in the mind of a squirrel when they're hoarding all of those, you know, all, of those, all that food for the spring. Or, for, I'm sorry, for the winter. Um, you know, and that's uh, basically, you know, when it comes to the fear of change, a lot of it has to do with insecurity. They're like, well, I'm okay right now, you know, um, but I'm not so sure, you know, how it would feel outside of the situation. It's actually, it's kind of a neuroses. It's just like, you know, the battered wife syndrome. Okay, I used to date a girl, uh, one of the first girls I dated when I was younger. When I met her, she had a blo- you know, she had a uh, black eye. Um, and I only dated her for a couple of weeks. She, you know, I treated her like gold, and she couldn't put her finger on it, but there was something about the relationship. She wasn't secure with. And so she left me, and she you know, went out with another guy who put her in the hospital about a week later. Okay, and wow. What I ended up realizing was, you know, she was, she was into the familiar, uh, her father, you know, uh, basically was extremely abusive, both physically and sexually. I didn't do that to her. So therefore there was change that made her unsettled. Um, as, as sad as it is to her being beat up by the significant male presence in her life was normal. So anything different than that made her nervous. Um, you see the same thing actually, um, when soldiers come home from war, they're at that point accustomed to things blowing up on a regular basis and somebody being out there to get them all the time. So when they come home and nobody's trying to do that, that sets off alarms because you know any soldier who's been in the field will tell you, if it's gotten quiet, something's wrong. You know That means right. that something's getting ready to happen. And that's an example of them being afraid of change. When I mean, you think about it, actually, you're talking about a change. Vietnam veterans particularly, when they came home a lot of them just got on planes and went back to Vietnam because they couldn't handle the change of, you know, of going from the li- life in Southeast Asia to trying to live in America. They couldn't handle it, so they went back to Vietnam, um, you know, as, as crazy as that is. you imagine what it would be like for them? I mean, a- apparently they did pretty well over there, but, but you get my point. People, basically, a lot of it is, is somewhat of a natural instinct. You know, it's, it's something that happens to people. Once they've become accustomed to something, they stick to it. That's also why people train. Like when you're training a police officer to be able to handle um, situations, the reason why is your first reaction that's going to happen if you are in a position where you're not sure what's going on is you're going to fall back to your training. And so that's an example of how you, you essentially make you know, the, the proper actions familiar, and that means that's what, you know, that's what people will be comfortable with when the time comes. Um, I, I think I've, you know, basically given you about a dozen different analogies about it, but it largely it doesn't have to make sense. In many cases, it's all rooted in fear. People, as you said, are scared of change because even if it looks like it could be better, you know, it's kind of like a, is this too big? Could be, you know, is this too good to be true? Is what people generally say when you ask them about the Venus Project. That's why they label us utopians, because the concept of what we're talking about is too good to them. You know, it's it's like it's too good. And the right. reason that that scares them is how often do you have somebody tell you something that's too good to be true to find out, well, come to find out, it is too good to be true. You know, it sets off alarms. It's that same stuff that Jacques talks about in Addendum, when you can't really trust each other, you know, in a monetary-based system, because you have no idea what this guy's, you know, pulling, and don't trying to get himself more of the pie. Um right. You know, and so if people are, are currently in a position where they, they understand things and they you know everything's okay and they're they're still doing their thing, then they're fine. But they don't know how that's going to change in the you know in the times in the future. You know, um,
0: it one of the stories a lot, that sounds a, to me a, a lot event, like
4: self-interest. Okay. Sounds to me a lot like it's a lot of it's rooted in self-interest that uh, people don't want to change because the fear is that something's going to get taken away from them. That they cling to, that they have put, put value on, i.e., money or possessions or, like you said, the, the mansion and the twelve cars, and uh, that, that their fear is that that lifestyle is going to go away, and so obviously they're reluctant to any kind of change because it's all based in self-interest and, and you know and, and their little circle that is so comfortable and they've gotten so used to.
1: Yes, that's very true. Um, and you'll find also this, this has to do with like stupid systems will perpetuate themselves. Like I'm involved in a, a hobby, um, and uh, it, the hobby was initially started by a group of people who were still in high school when they started it. It, it was basically a live-action role-playing game I participated in. And unfortunately, because of that, high school-style politics are pretty much the rule of the day. And y- you find that actually a lot, like in the workplace. People who maybe were popular in high school... Will recreate that same social structure because they're comfortable in it, even though it's ridiculous and backwards to do things like, you know, have some people be more popular than others, you know, have it be right. a way to earn brownie points by picking on somebody, you know, you know, to have people that's better that you don't talk to because you don't want to have your, you know, it, even though that's a ridiculous system to live by, you know, people are used to it, so they they, they do it because it's 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 something they understand. You know, um I mean, a lot of people like for example, I'm I'm kinda one of them. I, I refuse to update to Windows Vista. You know, some people claim the Vista is superior. But I don't wanna I don't wanna change my operating system. I like my operating system. Even though it's inferior, I know how to use it and I know it's gonna do. Right. <laughs> I'm basically. the same way. I'm the same way. And unfortunately this is one of the biggest complications we're gonna have. There are a lot of people like, you know, who are afraid of the implications that come about. And a lot of this is because in many cases people fear change because a lot of changes were done very poorly. Um, you know, obviously I fear change towards fascism because I have friends of mine who are Holocaust survivors. You know, to me, changes like the Patriot Act worry me. You know, um, to some other people, that's not even on their radar. You know, it, it, it all depends. Right. It's individual, and, and largely it has to do with just the fact that these things essentially mean a, a change in your environment. Okay? It affects animals, too. Like, um, when you bring your cat into a new home, what does it do? You know, it kind of freaks out, doesn't it? You know, it probably hides under the couch yeah. for a while.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: um, the same thing is true of people. Now, the only thing we can do is try to make sure that these transitions into change are going to be as easy as possible. And, um, you know, it 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 doesn't have to make rational sense because it's something that has to be overcome, and it can be overcome. I'm very confident. I mean, when you think about it, it's much easier to do also if you raise people to be intellectual. Critical thinkers. This is very important, and I can't wait to get to the part of the book about raising kids, because it talks about all of this. Um, You know, for me, I went from a fierce independent, uh, politically-wise. I refused to be part of any party. Um, I encountered the Ron Paul Revolution, and I became a libertarian-minded person. Um, I then eventually joined the Libertarian Party. Uh, You know, these are examples of changes that I made. Um, and then, from being a free market capitalist who worked with Senator Mike Gravel and his you know, transition to being libertarian, now I think that capitalism is garbage. Okay? These are huge changes. I have other friends of mine who are not capable of doing this at all. These are people who I used to think were very intelligent human beings, that when I try to discuss the flaws of capitalism with them, they can't handle it. It, it doesn't mean that I'm not right. It just means that they don't want me to be right, because that means they would have to change. That means that they would have to think about, wow, how much time have I wasted trying to, you know, spread this flawed concept of capitalism? You know, the same thing is true of recovered communists and recovered socialists. Um, it, it's it basically it takes critical thinking to be able to adapt to change quickly. And if we raise our children better to handle these situations, then it's not going to be a big problem to make these changes. So, I agree. In any I case, um, now I'm going to see we had some other callers here. And also, if anybody has any questions, please feel free to call in. The switchboard seems to have calmed down a bit, but I'm going to unmute one of my callers here. Hello, caller from 646. I apologize for forgetting who you were. Did you have any comments on the subject of uh, social change and resistance to it?
5: Um, Yeah, I actually do. Um, Just one comment on um, the... Uh, what what Jacques wrote in his book uh, about how nations how nations cannot would not be able to solve some of these problems, and I totally agree. Um, I have the viewpoint in that there's six point eight billion approximately people on this planet. And if each one of these people had one single problem, you'd have six point eight billion problems, not including all the other um, planetary issues that we have. And when multiple people have multiple problems, you'd have 6.8 billion to a huge factor. And that is something not a nation, government, or can solve, or even an individual can solve. And the only way to solve all these problems is to do it collectively as a whole through systematic change. And You know, getting rid of the monetary system is a systematic change, and we'd have to keep solving problems in a systematic way and viewing things in a global manner and solving all these problems globally. And that makes so much sense to me. That was uh, what I wanted to add. All right.
1: Well, all right. I'm going to. Well, basically, at this point, we're down to the last 20 minutes of the show. So, um, in the event that uh, you know, as so I've, I've basically, I so for people who do not know, um, my time spent with Jack Fresco and Roxanne Meadows when they were here in Michigan, in addition to my conversations with Roxanne frequently on the phone, has put me in a unique position to be a spokesman for the Venus Project. If any of the listeners have any questions about the Venus Project or, um, essentially, its applications and you know, the various implementations we may have to go through. My phone lines are open. Uh, the number to call in is 347-945-7747. That, that number again, 347 945 Seven. That is, of course, unless you're listening to it archived, in which case I can't help you. <laughs> if you get in contact with me on the forums, I'm generally pretty good about it. Um, well, I'm glad that we actually we got through these two chapters, um, and uh, it's uh, good that we actually had some pretty good conversations about it. I was actually very surprised at the amount of callers we had today. Um, I think some people actually ended up uh, um, getting... Uh, disconnected more than they, or like I guess they might probably had given up, but I thought I wouldn't get back to them. And I'm very sorry. Um, please, you know, feel free to call back anytime you want. I leave these lines open for a reason. Um, I know that it's really hard to get some of the answers that you have, and sifting through the forums can sometimes be kind of tough. Um, I would also once again mention that we have a Ventrello server for the Zeitgeist movement, where these kind of, these sorts of conversations, like you're seeing, you're seeing here, in this show um are a day-to-day thing um you can participate in these conversations and uh you know learn more uh because i can read the book to you but generally there's a lot that you can get out of just having a good conversation with somebody um, especially when you're talking about their individual experiences um so uh you can find the information about the ventrilo server on the uh website it is currently being put in the chat room I will go ahead and read it off. Um, since this is archived, you will be able to play it back if that's the easiest way for you to get this information. NYC2.BENTRILOSERVERS.BIZ. So basically, NYC2Ventrilloservers.biz. The port is 3795. For those of you who don't know what Ventrilo is, Ventrilo is a free voice chat program. Um, You set up the servers, they cost money, but the server is up for you, so you don't even have to worry about any of that. And, um, you know, if you put in the information they just gave you, you can talk to people from all over the world, regardless of where they are. I've made a lot of great friends on Ventrilo. Um, So, uh again, I'm going to uh, go to uh, Dark Dancer. Um, did you have any closing comments for the show?
6: Uh, yes, I did. Well, actually, again, a question. Um, something that is related to the last chapter and something that has been bothering me for a while, uh, especially in regards to the movement, um, would you think that uh, an example city will be enough to initiate change uh, in this direction Because, um, like you said, the major changes are usually and historically um, only possible when something really extreme happens, like uh, a a collapse of the system, uh, a threat from outside. Uh, Yeah, well, again, will an example city be enough to, to steer our civilization in this direction?
1: Well... Um An example will certainly go really far. I mean, if you look back into history, the French Revolution, a lot of people say that the French Revolution happened because of the American Revolution. The French people saw the success that the American colonists had in overthrowing the tyranny of monarchy, and they decided to try to reproduce that in their own you know in their own home country. Their execution of it obviously was kind of bloody and nasty, but in the long term, um, I'd say that they were better off without the French nobility telling them what to do. Um, unfortunately Jacques points this out all the time that it's very rare that you're going to have a significant change that isn't going to involve violence we're not going to cause any um, and we're not going to actively participate in any um, other than maybe to defend ourselves at least when it comes to the members of the Venus Project and I can't speak for anybody and what their individual intentions may be but I can tell you that nothing in the book nothing that I've ever spoken to about talking with Jacques or Roxanne about has ever advocated violence and in fact i going to take a brief moment to address that issue. Um, as an activist, let me warn you, do not engage in violent acts, ever. It is exactly what they want you to do. If you know anything about the way that the laws are currently written to deal with insurgencies, um, you would understand that this is exactly what the fascist elements in our government want you to do. Because then they have the excuse... Then they have something they can throw on CNN as their reason as to why they're taking away your guns or as their reason as to why they're taking away your rights, you know, or your privacy or, you know, shipping you out of your home into a FEMA camp, provided, you know, that whole thing is true. I tend to believe it is. Uh, the point is, though, is that um, if you do that, you're playing into their hands. This is a, this is a revolution of the mind. <clears throat> It is, you know, a crisis of consciousness, as um, I'm never going to be able to say his word his name correctly, but the Indian fellow at the beginning of addendum is talking about the, the plan here is to get this information into the hands of as many people as possible, and more importantly, into the minds of as many people as possible. Um, and uh, with, through that, you know, facilitate change. We talk about this because it's actually in the chapter. But one of the major things that Jacques points out is that these sorts of changes always happen. And it's only, and you know, generally what always ends up happening is that the people who are left to put things back together, are rising from the ashes, try to find a solution. For the colonists overthrowing you know, the, you know, the government here, you know, you know the British, they came up with this new concept of the democratic republic. For the people of Russia, when they overthrew the the Russian nobility, they tried communism. Um, you know, these are just examples, but, you know, the financial crisis in Germany created the National Socialist Party and therefore Nazism. So these are all examples. Something is going to be suggested to the people of the world as a solution when the system collapses. We need to try to make sure that our system, the Venus Project, is the one that is proposed. And the reason why is because we can't go back to capitalism for more of the reasons we've already been over. Technology has passed up capitalism's functionality. It, um, the same thing is true of socialism. Um, socialist programs can't be funded in a country where nobody has any money to be taxed for in the first place. Communism fails. All of these systems fail. The Venus Project proposes an alternate solution that addresses the problem and its root cause, rather than just trying to band-aid things or throw people in prison for being bad. Um, we need to look into making it so that people don't feel inclined to commit crime anymore. So the plan is this. Mr. Fresco ardently believes that eventually um, when the economic collapse happens, this is from his own mouth to my ears, eventually when the economic collapse happens, fascism will take root in the United States, just as an example here. You could probably see something very similar on a lot of other governments in the world. When that takes place, Um, eventually that fascist government just like every other will be overthrown the people will not tolerate it but when that happens people are going to be looking for a solution and going back to the constitution in the way that it was originally proposed is not the solution becoming a Marxist-Leninist is not a solution becoming a socialist is not a solution unless you just want to be doing this again in about 100 years or less so essentially when you talk about the transition to get back to your question Will the city be enough? The city will basically make people look at what we're doing and then look at what they're doing and go, why am I, li- why am I living like that? <clears throat> As it is, you already see, because we have so much immigration here in the United States, people are looking at what's going on in the United States, and in many cases, they're wanting to do that in their own countries. Um, some of this also has to do with civil rights. Some people are looking at the United States and they, um, the civil rights that women enjoy, people of minorities enjoy, and they're adopting these things for themselves. Sometimes it's the other way around. As I understand it, slavery in England and racism in England was conquered a lot sooner than ours. I might be wrong about that. I know it was in France. Um, you know one of the examples actually that came up about that was uh, a veteran I talked to from World War II, was a, a black man, um, was only recently awarded his Congressional Medal of Honor, like, I think, like six or seven years ago. The French awarded him their equivalent of the Congressional Medal of Honor for his valor in France, defending, um, I believe it was a building with innocent people in it, I don't remember the whole story. Uh, they awarded it to him immediately. There was no question, this man deserved it. Um, you know, so it basically, these changes can happen, and what you're, what you're looking at here is, is that people are going to look at what we're doing, particularly people who come from impoverished nations, and they're going to look for a solution. I mean, think about what's happening with Hugo Chavez. He's looking at possibly trying socialism. That's his plan. He wants to make his country a socialist country. Um, contrary to popular belief, it wasn't communism he went through, it was socialism. He wants to empower his people and use the resources of his country to the betterment of all people in his country. Um, that's an example of a kind of change. People, you know, He's looked at, seen what other people have done and is hoping to benefit from it. We at the Venus Project are actually hoping that Mr. Chavez will, or Chavez will sit down with um, Roxanne and Jacques and you know some translators, and that we might be able to make Ecuador into one of the um, I'm sorry Venezuela into one of the first Venus Project countries. Um, it, so, what it comes down to is this: Will it be enough? No, we'll probably still have to do some fighting. But in comparison, will we be able to do it without an example? I don't know that we will, um, honestly, because we can talk about this stuff all day. I believe it, you believe it, most intelligent people will believe it. The people who are too obsessed with tradition or have their emotions and their egos essentially attached to their previous old archaic beliefs are not going to be willing to let them go just cuz. And uh it's going to come down to that. You know, people are going to look at the things that are going on in a Venus project city, then they're going to go to their 9 to 5 job with a, you know, employer who's, you know, abusing them because he's being abused by his employer you know, not making enough to make ends meet, you know, what do you think people will, will come away from that with? They're going to look at the better system and then they're going to adopt it for themselves, just like the French did. So, does that answer your question?
6: Oh, yes, it definitely does. And um, uh, for one, the last remark you made about the people uh, that uh, do not share the same level of intelligence or are too uh, grasped to their old habits and uh, ways of living, um yeah i definitely i definitely think it will be difficult to convince these people that um living in uh, the direction the venus project proposes is is a better solution but uh, i agree that, that change will even reach them when they see uh the condition in their uh standard way of living uh, is becoming worse and that people who do adopt to this direction uh, do get a better standard of living. So, yes, uh, thank you for the answer. and It definitely clears a lot of things up.
1: Well, we're coming down now to the last six minutes of the show. Um, I haven't registered any new calls, uh, so I'm going to give the floor. Uh, Thunder, did you have any final statements?
4: Not really, Neil. I just want to thank you for doing the show. Um, as As you know, um, I have a show as well. I'm going to continue. Uh, my show starts up again on May 1st, and I have made a decision to devote all future shows to the Venus Project and the Zeitgeist Movement uh, from here on out. Um, you and I have uh, put our hands together on a couple ideas that we're going to move forward with. Uh, the, the VTV uh, idea is going to be coming to fruition. We've got a lot of good stuff. Uh, in the works, and I just want to encourage people to get the word out, Uh, tell everybody, present this to everybody, and if we can start to accumulate all these intelligent, uh, free-thinking people, um, then uh, the project will move forward in the way that we desire it to. And, And again, thanks for doing this show. Neil, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And let's let's keep going in this direction.
1: Thanks again. Absolutely. I'm going to open up the switchboard here again and see what our friend here has to say as his final statements. Did you uh, call her at 646? I keep forgetting who you are. I apologize. Vincent. I do have a cold. Vincent. Hi, Vincent. <laughs> I never you forgot got... you. I was just testing to see if uh, Thunder was on the ball. That's all. Um <laughs> Anyway, I, I, did you have any final statements for the show in our last five minutes?
5: Yeah, I mean, just keep spreading the word. I mean, right now, I think um, it's just about getting the word out and getting to critical mass where we become one organism. Like, from the words of Carl Sagan, um, I mean, the world is viewing, starting to view itself as one organism. So, and uh, an organism war with itself is doomed so let's uh let's become one organism and move forward
1: couldn't have said it better on that aspect um now as to my listeners i would uh, once again say uh, thank you for tuning in feel free to link this show anywhere you wish um and uh i encourage you to spread the word as well uh and you got to kind of read people and decide what's going to be best um I would recommend, in addition to the other movies that you've already seen, um, I have a list on the forums called VTV's Must-See TV. Um, I'm going to be bumping that post here pretty soon, but um, it has a list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet that are really important, um, and they also kind of help you understand where I'm coming from and where I got the opinions that I did Um, and uh, you know, getting a focus on things. Um, There's a, a much... Uh, basically a much briefer documentary it's called money as debt it was actually recommended to me by congressman dennis Kucinich. Um, he emailed all of his supporters about it um, and it addresses basically almost everything in the zeitgeist the movie only it does it in a kind of a well basically it's a cartoon so it's not oppressive or creepy sounding when you watch it and it has that effect that you know you can show it to more people it's it's shorter Um, and it'll probably whet their appetite for something bigger. You're going to run into a lot of people who are going to go, Oh man, that's a two hour movie. I'm not going to sit there and watch something for two hours about politics. Uh, money as debt, however, basically touches on the fractional reserve system, the federal reserve concept, and then eventually leads into saying, well, why don't we have this resource-based economy where, you know, all the resources of the world are intelligently managed. Um, it ends there. Uh, you can see that for free also on Google video. Um, once again, I'm going to recommend to those of you who have not read it, if you want to understand the monetary system's effect on war, uh, there's a very good book that is recommended here in this show. You can see the link to it. Um, it's basically it's got a, it's a comic book. It's called Addicted to War. Apparently, you can get a copy of it as cheap as $2.00. Um, And it really lays it out for you how just about every war that you've ever seen, you know, uh, know, the United States involved in has been essentially to somebody's profit or another. Uh, There's a lot of, there's basically a whole long essay by the General Smedley Butler that is mentioned in the orientation um, in this comic book about the various things that he had to do as a commander of the Marines and how different interests and corporate interests had manipulated them you know the military to be used for their own purposes of securing their own pocketbooks. Very good book. Um, in addition to that, I have links up there for the best that money can not buy, um, and the the DVD video for the future by design. Um, you know, listening to me read the book is great. I know that you know you will absorb more if you read it yourself. I know that a lot of people out there are not readers, but this book totally lays it out for you. The best that money can't buy, I strongly recommend it. Um, we are now down to the last uh, 60 seconds or so of the show. Um, thanks again for tuning in to V-Radio. Thank you to all of my panelists for being here tonight. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the show and that you will tune in to the next one. I do post the links to the archives. Actually, the archive, the link that you followed to get to the show will also link you to the archives. And um, in addition to that, I do post up the notifications of the new shows. If you go to the Zeitgeist forums, to the Venus Project section, at the very top, I don't know if it's still at the top, but there's a sticky post called V-Radio, Another Voice for the Venus Project. And if you go there, um, you'll find basically my um, various previous shows where we've analyzed the book Um, and also links to some of Thunder's shows that are also really good, including a very good interview with Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. Um, So we're now down to 25 seconds. Thank you all for coming. Thank you all for tuning in. And um, I'm looking forward to the next chapters of the book and the next episodes of V-Rate. Take care out there. Thank you.
6: Thank you, Thunder, and thank you, v Uh, sorry for being late again I had some personal tragedies but uh, it was very interesting to be able to um, uh, be here in the last part of the show
1: thank you too Dark Dancer and um, we're now off the air so thanks again folks Um, I'm going to log off now and uh, feed my kids (laughs) so talk to you later and I hope you enjoyed the show guys
6: definitely (laughs) I'll see you and have fun